Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to this week's podcast, The Revolutionaries in Profile. I'm Morris O'Keefe, and this week's podcast is a fascinating story about an artist, Sean Keating, who captured a time in Irish history when he invited a group of freedom fighters from the North Cork Flying Column to come to his studio in Dublin. This was during the truce in 1921. And we'll talk about why he painted this painting called The Men of the South twice. And also uh, another painting he did in 1946 in Newmarket called The Sinn Féin Courts. And to talk about this, you will hear the voices of Father J.J. O'Reardon, the son of Jim Reardon. Uh, Sean Mylan picked a number of men from different parts of the brigade area to go to Dublin and to sit for in, in uh, Sean Keating's studio. Derek Hawley, the son of Roger Hawley. My father was one of the people who were selected to be in that picture of the men of the South. I believe it was Sean Mylan who selected them because Sean Mylan was, was, he was the leading man in this area. And David Brown, who is the grandnephew of Dan Brown, who had uh, a recently discovered diary, uh, which he kept notes of while in Dublin. And it's far more... Uh, from what I gather now, is far more detailed and far more personal than, than the, the witness uh, statements, simply because it's for mostly for the family to, 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 to see. And you'll hear a rare taped recording with Jim Reardon. I used to come home this afternoon as I could. Yeah. But I, I was responsible for the barracks. Oh, you went to the barracks? Yes, yeah. you where I was. You will hear the voice of Sheila O'Sullivan, who is a local historian and connected to McMike Denny O'Sullivan in the painting. Keating believed that history should be recorded in paint as well as in word. And we start by getting to know more about the background of the men in Sean Keating's painting, The Men of the South. And we first talked to Father J.J. O'Riordan, who wrote a book titled Kishkeem versus the Empire. When I was anxious to record as much history as I could from home, I kind of knew that I was in a historical place. He grew up listening to the stories told around the fireside of the War of Independence and the Civil War, told by the men of H. Kishkeem Company under the leadership of Sean Mylan. I took the opportunity about 1971-72 uh, of um, 
doing a bit of recording. So I got a, a tape recorder, which was quite new at the time, and um, sat down with my father at home and with my sister. And sometimes neighbours would come in, otherwise we'd just sit and chat. But usually my father would be just there and uh, my sister would be pottering around the house as well, Eileen. Uh, so um, that's how it kind of began and that's how Kish Game versus the Empire began in, in terms of it starting in there, you know. Jim Reardon and Sean Mylan married two Murphy sisters from the Shamrock House in the village of Kishkeem. And here, Father J.J. Reardon talks about how they first came together. And this is followed by Jim Reardon. The um, Republicans used to train on the slopes of the Bukhara between Kishkeem and Newmarket. There's a road going up to Tower there, sort of be around that tower area there they do their training and um, one particular night Sean Mylan and Jim Reardon uh, were coming home from there and my uh, mother uh, was in the common amount she was coming home as well so um, uh, they were travelling along on their bikes and my mother Nancy Murphy from Kishkeem she was kind of lagging behind a bit in terms of speed of the cyclists. Um, but um, so Jim decided to take it easy as well and accompany her. And uh, so uh, they, Jim and Nancy then chatted away and uh, they eventually came to Kiss Game. And when they came there, they found Sean Mylan just wandering around because he couldn't get into the Shamrock House. There, when we had the meeting, we came and home the three bicycles from Tower. Mm-hmm. We, we arrived to cycle away, and we were in the hills then. You see, Nancy went there to keep up to us, and I waited for her. But she couldn't cycle up the hill, yeah. and I waited for her, and I waited, and the mile was gone up. Mm-hmm. And Mylan came into his camp in that night and didn't know where to go. Mm-hmm. But eventually, he was there, and he was over the sh- in front of the shamrocks. Father J.J. Reardon recalls here the time that his father Jim Reardon and Sean Mylan were arrested, but not before they put up a fight. There was a major roundup. There had been a number of them in various parts of the country, in, well, Munster anyway. Um, but what we call around Kiss Game, the day of the big roundup, was. Um, when the military British army uh, organised, planned uh, an advance in order to round up any Republicans that might be, that they could get. So they conducted um, uh, a cordoning operation. Um, The previous night they sent out troops in var- to various parts of the countryside, not directly into the Kishkeem area, but uh, were in the vicinity. And then when darkness fell, uh, the troops on foot proceeded then from um, various points uh, to move towards Kishkeem and that general area and round up anybody they might find along the way. 
Sean Moylan had been staying in our own home, my father himself in the, in the home place in Nakavoreen, that night they were arresting and they had sentries out and the sentries came at some hour, probably around two o'clock or so and they said that the place was surrounded so um, the, the two of them jumped up in here, put on a bit of clothes and um, <clears throat> The centuries were gone. They had no more information. They just had disappeared. So Mylan and Jim Reardon came out of the house then and no sound of anything anywhere. And then they, they talked about what we'll do. And then they walked down the road a little bit uh, and uh, chatting openly, not whispering. And then eventually... Uh, they agreed that Sean Mylan would go down to Manny King's um, because some of the of, Cat, of the um, uh, Republicans would be there. And uh, then Jim Reardon then would go to Hurley Hayes, another uh, neighbour's house, uh, to alert the people there. Uh, so Mylan started to walk down the little boreen towards Manny King's and the next thing, the machine gun fire just lit up the place. And um, so after that burst of machine gun fire, Jim Reardon concluded that Mylan was dead. Uh, so he then decided just to let them know that they weren't all dead. <laughs> so he fired his own rifle, then a couple of shots down, uh, the Boreen again, and with that, the really blazing uh, machine gun fire. One of the bullets blew his hat off, uh, so it was time to kind of find some way of escape then if one could. So he, Jim knew the countryside, and he managed to crawl uh, on his stomach for six miles uh, up through the country between Kishkem and Belly Desmond and up onto the mountains until he came up to um, Janie Owens, as we call him, in, in Glontan Finan. And I think he stood up for the first time there. But he had crawled his way through groups of military and so forth. Meanwhile, dawn broke and Mylan had not been killed. He had thrown himself against the ditch and escaped the whatever fire came in his direction and he was hiding in a bush in a field which we call the field in front of the house and um, when dawn broke uh, an RIC man recognised him, found a man there and he recognised who the man was and it was Sean Moylan. So he was arrested there and then brought into our yard Nakamoreen and uh, he was a whole lot of other men that had been rounded up they were all there in our yard uh, information being taken about them and names being written down uh, uh, yeah so um, will we listen to your father yeah, sure, yeah, tell, yeah, tell yeah, uh, sure, yeah. a piece of that story yeah. I, was, I, I, I crashed along in the mountain in my, in my stomach yeah, crawling and I crashed them. I got out in the main road I said George Valley Desmond, and they were above and below me. I said they were below at Connie the Tinkers, and the Marchian, and they were uh, above at the Force Boys Cross, we call it. 
And I got out between two sections there. And I got into Collins Farm. And when I got into Collins Farm, I knew the course pretty well. And I thought it, we were, it was pretty safe out of there, I didn't find it across the main road. Yeah. And I continued on out for Turindu. And we got, I said, uh, I got him into a shock there, I took a rest there, saying I sat up on the beach and the next thing, and the dogs bapped around me. And I spotted him, it was shoving on today then. And I got into Lansburg. And I stopped in Lansburg until the sun was up. Between inside in, in uh, between high banks, uh, all the military and uh, all the prisoners that they had taken around the war here, mm -hmm. they had them all taken and they had them in Ellery. And uh, there he found out that Mylan was still alive. And then himself and John Verdin, they were chained together inside the lorry. And there was a big roundup, and Moylan and, uh, was arrested. And he was taken to Victoria Barracks in Cork. Local historian from Newmarket, Sheila O'Sullivan. And there was a military court, uh, and he was to be shot because that was what was happening at the time. It happened for his look that there was a solicitor in uh, Victoria Barracks that day named O'Sullivan from Mallow, who was friendly with this QC called Albert Wood. And while Moylan didn't see any purpose in a defence, because with a military court, there was only going to be one outcome. But Albert Wood met um, Moylan, and they decided he would go for this habeas corpus uh, that would slow down Moylan's execution, and maybe they could secure his freedom. And so a whole line of circumstances and being in the right place at the right time that led to the meeting with the artist Sean Keating. Moylan uh, served some time in Spike Island, but when there was a truce called, uh, Moylan was released as part of the truce um, negotiations. And he was in Dublin and he just happened to meet Albert Wood. There was no arrangement, they just happened to run into one another. And of course, Albert Wood was speaking with Moylan and was intrigued by his intellect and his philosophy. And Albert Wood was also a friend of Keating's. So Albert Wood um, commissioned Keating to paint a portrait of Moylan for him. While Sean Moylan was in Keating's studio, the idea of painting the men of the South was conceived. Of course, he, um, Keating had um, a disposition, a very favourable disposition uh, towards the fight for freedom. And um, of course, he was discussing uh, the possible outcomes with, Keating, uh, with uh, Moylan. And Moylan was uh, telling him about his flying column and what brave men they were, that they their life was on the balance every day. They were uh, never at home. They had to sleep in ditches. They had no arms. They started with nothing. And um, so then Keating got an interest in his men, his, his flying column, because he said that Moylan was only one man, but obviously his flying column were of equal interest and value. And he wanted to paint them as well because Keating believed that history should be recorded in paint as well as in word. 
that they organized that in 1921 during the truce. And um, in September of that year, uh, Sean Moylan picked a number of men from different parts of the brigade area to go to Dublin and to sit for in, in um, Sean Keating's studio uh, to be painted there. And uh, they did that, and they had a great time during that, um, you know, in a, in a good sense of... Um, they were based in in a um, hotel in Dublin, and um, they would go to the doll then when they were not uh, being sitting for the artist. And um, then they would also... Um, uh, had to smuggle in the guns and that because Sean Keating would be fired... Uh, people had found out anything about what he was up to, so um, so the guns were smuggled in under the overcoat, and uh, then he Keating was anxious that they grow beard and you know look as kind of tough as possible, you know. So um, so if they hadn't succeeded in growing it, Keating added a bit himself. My father was one of the people who were selected to be in that picture, the men of the South. Terry Colley, the son of Roger Colley. I believe it was Sean Mylan who selected them because Sean Mylan was, was, he was the leading man in this area. And he, he was also, he was very friendly with my father always from the time of the Troubles. And really, sure, it was in the middle of the Troubles that that picture was painted. And they, they were invited to Dublin and they went and they had guns. <laughs> I think I heard Sean Keating being interviewed at some stage there recently, a short interview, and he was saying he saw these men coming with their guns into his <laughs> studio. But anyway, they did. I mean, more, they were mostly from Kiskame now. In one of our books there, we have uh, it appeared, and the names of the people are on it. They're mostly from Kiskame, including Sean Mylan himself and my father. And my father is the person... The man in the middle, the civilian in the middle, sitting down with a revolver in his hand, the rest of them. My father was a, what he called an intelligence officer, and he wasn't actually out. Uh, I don't believe he took part in any ambush or anything like that, but John Milam told him he was to be an intelligence officer. I'm a grand-nephew of Dan Brown. David Brown from Broadford in County Limerick, and brother of Vincent Brown. Um, my father's uncle... And uh, they lived in Wheeling County Cork and in a place called Ballinatona, uh, a small household, farming household, um, not particularly well off, but at the same time, a large family of the Browns uh, were born there, uh, ten in all. Uh, Dan uh, became uh, involved in the uh, fight for, uh, for freedom, uh, and he was 30. 31 at the time when he got involved with uh, Sean Moylan and the battalion, the meeting and the Newmarket battalion uh, in, in, uh, at the start of the, of the War of Independence. They were met at the door by uh, the porter uh, who uh, was very alarmed by the fact that these people, and he knew that they were carrying guns despite the fact that they were disguised in bags and everything, but it was quite clear. And they, they knew that uh, these people knew that there was no problem because they got Sean Keating's approval for arriving there. But the porter had not been told about this meeting, about this uh, call from these people. So he's so alarmed that he left them outside the door 
and ran up to Sean Kitty and said that there are people with guns down at the doorstep, you better just be careful. He says, let them in, which was very alarming indeed to the porter. But eventually they arrived in and they produced the guns for the sitting of the... Uh, and it, it was well organised because Sean Keating had originally got a, 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 a photograph taken of people who were in a particular position that were going to be... Uh, they're going to be uh, the, the gathering of these men were told to take up a particular position and oppose so that Dan would start working on them. And it was an extraordinary situation that hardly ever, ever occurred before between an artist and these military people for this position, this particular situation arose. It was comical in one sense, but it is actually, has been now being become one of the most famous paintings of the War of Independence. A recent discovery of a diary which had been kept by Dan Brown while he was in Dublin during the time of the truce and going to Sean Keating's studio. It's intriguing really because the only evidence we have from Dan Brown is the witness statements that I've just referred to. This extended far better in, a, in that it's a very personal one that uh, requires that his, his family uh, began to sort of read it and began to understand precisely what Dan and his, how, how much of an influence he had and how much, how, uh, how much he was regarded in his, in his group at the time. It's far more detailed and far more personal than, than the, the witness uh, statement simply because it's far mostly for the family to, 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 to see. Dan Brown was in charge of the money going to Dublin and he was very careful in recording every expenditure and while the volunteers travel and their accommodation in the Clarence Hotel and their food was all paid for by Albert Wood there was still incidental expenses like they went to um, now the treaty debates on that they went to them as much as possible to inform themselves and they were free because they walked to all those things but they did go to Dunleary one day for a day trip and I think they spent one pound ten shillings between them all and Dan recorded that expense because he wanted to account for the money when he came back to Newmarket and it's an intriguing diary. It's in his own handwriting, beautiful handwriting, but it's a contemporaneous document on who they met, the day they met Keating, what time they met him, the days they went to the treaty debates, the days they were inspected by Michael Collins. One of the things my father always remembered was um, when he'd go to um, the doll, he said they always got to shake hands from Michael Collins. Uh, welcome from Michael Collins. Of course, it was a, a political time because th- th- there was a big struggle for which way would the army go in the long run, uh, with the free state or with the uh, uh, our, our independence. So, um, but anyway, Michael always gave them a great welcome when they were around there. Yeah. There were two paintings painted by Sean Keating of the men of the South. Sheila O'Sullivan explains. First one, there was eight people in it. There was the men of the south plus Moylan and Mick Mike Dinney. Now, if you look at that painting, it's a 
fabulous painting hanging in Oris and Uteron. But the background, he said he could, Keating believed he could do better, that the first one was a bit rushed. And when he had time to think about it, he figured he could do better because you don't have a background as such in the men of the south. There's eight people in it. It's a bit crowded and the background is just a mishmash of colour. Whereas in the painting, the men of the south, you have a profile as if the men were sitting waiting for an ambush. You have the fields of Ireland behind them. And obviously there's only six men in this one, so he had more room to develop the characters themselves. And he figured that the second painting uh, was a better painting from his point of view. But from, I suppose, the family's point of view, we have two extra people. We have McMike Denise Sullivan and we have Sean Moylan with their comrades. And we're particularly delighted that um, the families were able to visit Oris and Uteron in 2019 to see the painting because none of us had seen it before. We'd seen it in books, but we hadn't actually seen the actual painting. And the Brown family copied uh, Dan Brown's diary and got it bound in red leather and presented it to President Higgins. And President Higgins has that diary on display under the painting, which now hangs in the Council of State room in which the President uh, meets and greets all foreign dignitaries. And of course, um, the dignitaries want to know who's in this fabulous painting and who are they and who does it represent. And President Higgins tells them, but he'll say, look, there's a contemporaneous account. That is Dan Brown. This is his handwriting. And who were these men in the painting? My father was at the one at the left-hand side, then Dinny Milan was next to him. Dinny Milan is from, I think, Bali Bahara, I think will that be right, yeah? And then you have Roger from Cullen. You have um, Dan Brown. He was from Wheeling. He settled in County Limerick later, and he had two priests in the diocese here. Yeah. And uh, Jim Cashman, yeah, he was Kishkeem. Oh, what did he do afterwards? He was farming. Yeah, I stayed on the home farm, yeah. Did a lot of them kind of go back into the farms? They did, yeah. yeah. Again, where do you go, like, you know? Yeah. When you're yeah. defeated and, you know, people hate the sight of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You just crawl back into your home farm. <laughs> and, and did some of them immigrate, actually? They did. Johnny Jones went to America, but he didn't go for a good while. Yeah. As far as I know, he went... Yeah, I, I remember when he went to America. Um... Meet my Denise Sullivan, yeah. He went to America and uh, at the, again, I think I think he went uh, just at the end of the Civil War, I think. Yeah. And um, he, I I went to meet him in New York and when I got there he was buried two days previously. It has become an iconic image for many reasons. I suppose the quality of the painting in itself and you can see the men sitting, and they're sitting in profile, but they're looking into the future. It's like as if they're looking into a new Ireland. And you can see the background, the fields and that of Ireland, but they're looking 
forward. They're looking forward. Um, we were also very lucky, I suppose, in having Albert Wood to commission a painting in the first place, and Keating, who was an extraordinary artist. We were extraordinarily lucky that Keating painted two paintings. The first one is an IRA column, and it was purchased uh, in the 40s by President Douglas Hyde. And he asked the civil servant called Mr. McDumphy to, um, to look for art that would represent Ireland and Ireland's history. They had a collection of Fenians and this and that, but he wanted just a recent history of Ireland. And McDumphy spoke with Moylan, who was a minister in government at the time, and Moylan remembers this painting. They contacted Keating, and Keating had it in an outhouse. So this was from 1921, I suppose, to 1944. And Mr. Mac they, the, the, keep, uh, the painting was purchased, but Mr. McDumphy went further, and he got statements from Moylan about the painting, who was in it. He asked him to do a key, the names of the people that were in it. He asked him to give him the history of how the painting uh, was commissioned in the first place. And Mr. McDumphy then contacted the artist himself from his side of the story. Why did he paint these men? And he said there, he thought that again that history should be represented in paint, that these volunteers represented the best of all volunteers who were fighting for Ireland. Sean Mylan's company operated a Sinn Féin court in the Newmarket area during the truce. Having um, won the, the war so far, you're dealing with the truce, that there was no kind of official force of keeping law and order. So it was either the Republicans did it or nobody did it. And um, since there was a kind of a gap there, it was the uh, Sinn Féin Republican, and they were all together at this stage, before the Civil War started, uh, but they were um, uh, kept control or the peace in areas, so that if there were thefts, they would pursue those, mm. and they would try the culprits, and they would put them into a jail of a sort, uh, or under certain conditions for a time, uh, so that the neighbours around Kiskame said the law was never kept better than when Sean Wilde and Jim Reardon were running it. <laughs> so they knew, they knew who was who, yeah. And here is a rare interview with Jim Reardon. You were part of the local police that time, is it? Yes, I was. I was charged him the yeah. whole bit of your life. Yeah. yeah. Dr. Reardon. What year was that now? That was 21 after the truce, was it? Right. Yeah. Truce? During the truce, yeah. During the truce. Right. So during that time then, was it the, it was the Sinn Féin police was operating? Twice? Yeah. It was we were operating. I see, yeah. We didn't have market barracks. Yeah. Oh, you were up from Newmarket Barracks? Newmarket Barracks. Well, how had you organised then? Was there a, oh, well, it, it, a number of you staying in the barracks or what? Yes, in yeah. turns. Yeah. In turns. I used to, I used to come home as often as I could. Yeah. But I, I, I was responsible for the barracks. I, oh, you were in charge of the barracks? Yes, yes I, changed, yeah. I, I was. Tom Roach and Pat Murphy then. Uh, they were in, in, in uh, 
in the new market, there would be duty around new market and on those side, mm-hmm. on either of the western side. I see, yeah. So I used to, we support, we, oh, we did no duty for mm-hmm. Dan Brown was in charge of the Sinn Féin courts in our uh, neck of the woods. The Sinn Féin courts were of utmost importance because what it represented was a transfer of allegiance from the citizens to these rebels, that they were capable of dispensing justice rightly, whether it was land disputes or whatever. It was a transfer to the volunteers by the citizens of respect. So it was very important that these Sinn Féin courts operated in a just matter. And they did. And those, the likes of Dan Brown and uh, those, the judges, there was a consul when he was a Sinn Féin judge who was my grandfather, they adjudicated on land disputes and who owned land and rights of way. And all those judgments stand to this day. In the 1940s, Sean Keating came down to Newmarket to stay with his friend, Sean Mylan. And he came down to paint a painting titled The Sinn Féin Courts. And here, J.J. O'Riordan recalls seeing Sean Keating for the first time. And I saw um, Sean Mylan coming along the road with his bearded man. And we were working in the meadow, what we call the coarse meadows. Uh, and um, the man happened to be uh, Sean Keating. And uh, Sean Mylan brought him down deliberately to my father to see if Jim Reardon could find a suitable venue for painting a Sinn Féin court scene. So um, my father had a look around some local houses then, just thought of one or other, and uh, he just picked out one that was very suitable. Unfortunately, now it's demolished. Uh, owned by Colities, uh, who um, the family had just died out. The original owners, but they had willed the place to Murty Tom Cullity from Glen Collins because he was a nephew of the man of the house. So Murty was resident now in Cullity's Nakavoreen and uh, so was his sister Peggy. So they were running the place there. They were both single people at the time. So anyway, uh, Keating came along and had a look at the place and he found it was eminently suitable with the um, old dresser and the settled bed and the stairs up to the loft or the ladder, whichever it was. And um, anyway, it was just right. Well, then my father then provided all the personnel that he needed, which was a great boon for an artist, obviously, if you get all your models free. (laughs) (laughs) So I remember that summer then, um, my father carting people along for painting. Uh, and bringing along different characters, um, whom I would know most of them, yeah. Um, there was old Dennis Daniel, as he was called. Uh, he was, um, they referred to him as the old Fenian. He had a long white beard. And he was um, Danny Guinea's uncle, I think, or, fa- or father, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
and um, then Mike Tate Cronin drum Scotland, Timmy Cronin Kiss Game, Mikey Cronin. The, these are all people that are actually in the painting. And then the younger sentries were um, at on either side of the fireplace. Uh, you had Murty Cullity and the man of the house and his brother Sean, I think, or Paddy, one or the other. Uh, so they were the two sentries. And um, that was that. So they went on for some weeks. Uh, he, yeah. he painted, he did chalk. He did them in chalk, uh, in units. And uh, Peggy Cullity, who was a very generous-hearted woman, uh, God bless her, but she had a roaring fire down <laughs> in the heat of the summer, you know. And the, the, the poor candidates uh, were melting. But in the mid-40s, Moylan said to Keating that it would be a good idea that nobody had recorded a Republican court, who Dan Brown was in charge of. And so he came down and he called to Jim Reardon's house in Knockavoreen. And Jim Reardon had cousins just over the ditch, the Cullities, and they had an old um, cottage with you know, the Bastable and the Holy Pictures and, and a flagstone uh, flag uh, floor. And uh, Keating said, this is wonderful. This is exactly the setting. Jim Burke, my sister, gave him a lift then to Kiss Game every day for the painting. He got a lift from Jim Burke, who was the driver of the creamery lorry yeah. for Newmarket Park. And... Um, <laughs> I shouldn't be telling you this on tape, but anyway. <laughs> he, he, he was, he was, he had Keating in the front seat in the in the, the truck for, going for the milk, and uh, Jim Burke had gone in to check up something in the creamery. But anyway, someone someone asked about, uh, "Have you the little bigger man with you at all today?" <laughs> Sure, I wouldn't go down too well. <laughs> Why, where, where, was he but small in stature? He, he was low yeah. in stature, yeah. yeah. And I said, quiet. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. But people didn't realise he was an artist, you know, in, in Downing Kiss Game, like he was just this stranger. Um, t- Timmy Cronin, Tim, Mark, Michael Cronin, then knocking a colleague just near Kiss Game, brother Timmy, who was in the Republican movement. Um, after Mass on, on the Sunday morning when when uh, the artist appeared there and Michael Cronin said, and who is the gentleman with the hair suit appendages? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of a man was he? Well, I mean, he, he was he was uh, he, his bearded, I suppose, would be number one, you know, in terms of recognition. Uh, but he was a, a humble gentleman, uh, poor man really. Uh, after the Second World War, now he was really on his uppers, you know, with a young family, and that's that's when he came down to Kiss Game. Sean Milan brought him down to meet my father and to try and find a place for uh, a suitable place for a painting. So that produced the one that's in um, Collins Barracks in Cork. Well, we've come to the end of this week's podcast, Revolutionaries in Profile. If you would like to hear the full interviews, you can do so by going to our website, irishlifeandlore.com. 
And if you would like to subscribe to our work, you can do so by going to our donations page on our website. I'm Maurice O'Keefe, and I look forward to bringing you another podcast next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.